Good evening. Wow, everyone's on vacation or something today. Retired or what's on TV? Is there? Ah, okay. We're in John chapter three. Probably one of the more familiar chapters in Scripture. And it's really unfortunate that there are these chapter breaks because it can kind of put this break in our mind of, oh, that was that chapter, and now this is another chapter. And sometimes they don't really, it doesn't work well. And and this is one of those ones where I, I don't think it works well because I think John is really connecting to what happened in the last chapter. Remember, in the last chapter, Jesus was doing miraculous things. He went and threw over uh, the, the tables in the temple, and we talked about the change that he was making us aware of. John is writing back that all the sacrifices and all the the religious obligations could never meet the requirements that God needed. And so the temple and all that it represented was actually being changed to be that of Christ's own body. And God was bringing in this new covenant, this new work, taking us away from the lack or the deficiency that was there in the law and bringing us into the relationship that would fulfill what the law was intended to. And so that's the backdrop. And then he says in verse one, now there was a Pharisee. And it's not a coincidence that this just happened with the temple and all the things that were there in the temple. And so I want to give you a little bit of information, then we're going to read the chapter and we'll ask some questions. But what's a Pharisee? A Pharisee was, to the Jew, probably one of the most prestigious people. The law to the Jews was the most sacred thing in all the world, and the law was the first five books that we have. Uh, written by Moses, and they believed it to be the perfect word of God. And everything that was in this law was perfect and complete. That must mean that it was containing everything that a man needed to know for living a good life, if not explicitly, then implicitly. In other words, if it didn't explain everything, it implied what was necessary to know. And so that's the idea of the law in the Jewish mind. And if it was not there in so many words, it was possible to deduce what was needed for life in the law. And the scribes would write the law out and all the things that the law meant, and the Pharisee would live it out. And so they were committed to living entirely, completely, all these things out. So with that in mind, let's go back and let's just kind of read some parts of chapter three, verse one. There was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, 
We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sounds, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Let's stop there and let me ask you, do you have any questions? Come on, don't be shy. Any thoughts that jump out to you or things that are curious to you in this passage? Yeah. So mark down some notes here. So the water. What else? Anything else stand out to you guys? So why is he there at night? What's going on there? Whole nighttime thing. Okay. What else? Um, It means teacher. And a Pharisee wasn't necessarily just a teacher of the law, but it was someone who lived out the law. Um, I mean, they did teach, but they were known for really living it out, where a scribe or a Sadducee uh, might be known for writing those things out and making all those laws known. The Pharisee was known for keeping those things. We'll touch that a little bit, too. So, rabbi means teacher, okay? I mean, it could be a teacher of the law. I mean, that's kind of the Hebrew mindset was the law. And not only was Nicodemus a Pharisee, he was a member of the Jewish ruling council, which is part of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a court of 70 members, and they were basically the supreme supreme court of the Jews. And even though they were under the Roman rule and so limited into how much they could control or do, they still were the ones who had extensive say in just the Jewish people's lives. In particular, the Sanhedrin had religious jurisdiction over every Jew in the world. Okay, that was their power. So it wasn't just those in Jerusalem, those locally. They were the ones who made the rule for every Jewish person in the world. And one of their duties was to examine and deal with everyone who was suspected of being a false prophet. See, these were the guys who would have to, this was, you go before, if you're going to be a Supreme Court justice, you've got to come before us, and we're going to see if you make it or not. You know, do you believe in abortion? I mean, it's one of those kinds of things. It's amazing, really, that a man in this position would be going to Jesus. Because we're talking about one of the elites. And yet we see him going to Jesus. Any other questions come up as we we go into this? (laughs) The connection. Well, I mean, there's a few times like this, and actually throughout Jesus' 
you know, ministry of teaching where someone will ask him a question and it's like, did you hear my question? Because I don't think you answered it. I mean, doesn't it strike you, you know, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God because no one can perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And Jesus says, truly, I say no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. It's like, where did that come from? You know, it seems like, what are are you talking about? What is the connection with those things? And going back to verse 2, Nicodemus came to him. He came at night. Now, there's a couple of reasons that he may have come at night. Um, one, it could be that he was cautious, not wanting to be seen or identified with Jesus. Um, but again, you've got to credit this man for just going to him, period with who he was, okay? Here was a person who made the decisions for the Jewish people in the nation going up to Jesus and saying, no one can do these things, which to me is an amazing thing because even though he had this position and this acknowledgement of knowing the law, he still lacked something enough to make him want to ask and seek. And I think that's a powerful thing to see that here is a person who knows the law, who lives it out, but is lacking and wants more. And so maybe he didn't want to be identified with Jesus. Another thought is, you know, Jesus throughout the day had a lot of people around him. And if you're going to sit down and have a heart-to-heart, it's probably not going to be with a lot of people around. You're probably not going to get the time with him that you would at night. The rabbis would actually say the best time to study the law was at night when you're undisturbed. See, so I I could have been a rabbi. I, I like the late night. And so it could be that he just wanted this kind of time with Jesus. You you guys have been there where you're, you know, wanting to talk to someone, but you're in a group. And every time you start to talk to one person, someone chimes in and they start telling you about, you know, their basketball game or something like that. And you're like, I'm trying to get somewhere, but oh, well, you know, I guess we'll talk another time, you know, about what I want to talk about. Tonight's your night, you know. So maybe he just wanted to get... Jesus at a time where he could actually have an absolute private and completely undisturbed time to find out some things that are really important to him. And again, I think the noteworthy thing is that he came to Jesus. Now, we know that later on, he actually provided the ointments and things for the funeral, the burial that they anointed Jesus' body with that were pretty costly. So he's probably a person of means, had money. Um, There's a lot of speculation about where he came from, family and things like that. I don't think it's too important, but what is important is his position and that he actually humbled himself to come to a position and then as someone who we believe was a follower of Jesus. And there's that necessity of humbling ourselves, no matter what our position, when we are in the presence of God. And that's something we do see Nicodemus taking place with him. And so Jesus replies, very truly, I can tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. The signs that Jesus did, 
that Nicodemus is referring. No one can do these signs unless God is with them. The signs that Jesus was doing were not important as the, they weren't the things to focus on. Those signs, they're pointing to something else. So don't focus on the signs that I'm doing. It was pointing to what God was going to do and bringing a change in the inner person's life. Okay, remember the whole idea of chapter two now starts to fill this dynamic. The whole point of you've made my father's house a, a, a house you know of merchandise and it's supposed to be a house of prayer for all the nations and god is going to destroy this temple but raise it up in three days or you will destroy this temple and i will raise it up in three days and he's talking about the temple of body talking about the transition from this old way of life to this new way of life and so all the signs are pointing to this and now this is what jesus is talking about He gets right to the heart of the matter and he says, unless a person is born again or born from above, they cannot see the kingdom of heaven. The Greek word that's used for born again, it kind of has three different meanings. And it's hard for us because we say born anew, born from above, born again, and, and We have three different words, but this one word basically had three meanings. It it could mean from the beginning, you know, born from the beginning. It could also mean born again in a sense of a second time. It could also mean born from above and therefore from God. And so to be born anew is, is to undergo such a radical change that it's like a new birth. It's to have something happen to your soul, which can only be described as being born all over again. It's such a a dynamic change that affects you so to such a degree that it affects everything about you. The whole process is not a human achievement because it comes from the grace and power of God. And so all this is in that meaning of being born again, being recreated, being uh, something new, a whole new birth, and having God do something. It's all in there in this idea of being born again. And so when he says this, he's going to bring out a couple of things. And and this idea of being born again, he's really talking about uh, this dynamic that's more than just a religious requirement. There's kind of three points that they're dealing with in this idea of the new birth. It is idea of reborn or newness. There's this idea of the kingdom of heaven, which has to do with sonship. And there's also this idea of eternal life that he's all going to talk about these things in this passage. And understanding the Hebrew mind and how it saw things and how the Jewish leaders would look at the law is really important because I think it's very telling for what happens to us. Just as they saw the law as perfect and complete and it would either explicitly or implicitly give us direction on how to leave, 
what they did is take it a step far farther. They said, well, the law is complete and it contains everything necessary for the living of a good life. Therefore, in the law, there must be a regulation to govern every possible incident in every possible moment and every possible person. They believed that there was enough in the law that they just had to dissect it enough to find every situation how a person should live. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Does that seem like we could do the same kind of things? I've got to tell you, if you think the scriptures tell you every little thing you need to know to raise kids, you're mistaken. It will give you direction. It will give you guidance. It will give you just uh, uh, implying of how you should live. But it's not going to deal with every situation. When your daughter comes home crying because her boyfriend broke her heart, you can look through the scripture and find out, you know, I might be able to find something to help along. But, you know, you're going to have to deal with that in the Come here, hon. Sit down. Let me read to you a passage. Ain't going to help her much. (laughs) No, you do that afterwards. Well, shotgun, whatever, depends, you know. But, you know, it, it doesn't give you the extreme detail of every situation. Whether it's in business, whether it's in relationships, it gives us guidelines. It implies a lot and explains a lot, mostly with our nature. But you see, what they were doing was saying, no, every scripture or every detail in life has something in the law that needs to govern it. And so the more we know about the law of God, the better we'll live and the more pleasing to God we will live. And it became so overbearing. The law. You know, we know no one comes from God except for you. You know, you must be a person of God because of all these things that you're doing. But then they would make the law of so much restriction that pretty soon you couldn't do anything. For example, on the Sabbath, you weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath. What does work mean? Well, the scribes, they would have to write out what it work means. And they'd have volumes in the Mishnah and other writings of what it meant to work. And so they decided tying a knot was a work. But it depends what kind of knot. See, if you tied a knot like on a boat, that's work. But if a woman tied a knot on a girdle, that wasn't work. So if they needed to go get water out of the well, they couldn't tie a knot onto the bucket, but they could tie a girdle onto the bucket and they could then put the bucket in the water and pull it up and there they didn't break the law. And it seems silly in some ways to us, but it was that extreme. Well, you can only walk so far, otherwise you're breaking the command of the law. But if you have a rope that is connected from one home to the other, then that rope means that these houses are connected. So the day before the Sabbath, you could tie a rope from the neighbor's house, and now you had a little further you could walk. Or if there was a meal somewhere that you walked to, wherever that meal was, was considered your home. So if you went and put some bread off somewhere, uh, even though it was further, well, we can walk to the bread and now we're still home. 
And so it became this kind of, you know, loophole, find a way, because we want to keep the law, but, you know, it's kind of impractical. And I, I think there's a lesson here for us, because here are these people who are trying to find out how to please God, and they are looking at the scripture, and they're dissecting it and dissecting it, and they're missing the picture. And so... They get upset with Jesus because he heals a blind man on the Sabbath. And then we know these dynamics. You know, if your animal falls into a pit, won't you rescue them? How is it that I can't save an actual person? And then Jesus says, you know, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You've turned it around. And so here's someone trying to find out, okay, you're, are you the guy, because no one can do these things that you do, and Jesus has to break his understanding because right now it is locked, and all he sees is law. And so Jesus says, you need to be born again. He gets right past all the, well, yeah, of course, you know, I'm fulfilling what Isaiah said and I'm doing these miracles because I am the chosen one. He needs to get Nicodemus out of this legalistic mindset and break into something much more important. So he tells him, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, we've talked extensively about the kingdom of God. We went through that series, this beautiful mess, where the kingdom of God is not heaven waiting for you. The kingdom of God is the reality of God's work taking place in our lives and through our lives. You know, Jesus would say, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This kind of understanding of the, the kingdom of God is something that is actually taking place through us and in what we do as well as something that we're looking forward to. It is the will of God being established in the lives of people, the kingdom of God. And so you can't be a part of this work in this kingdom, this life that God is giving, unless you're born again. And so this, this Jew is saying, okay, I, I need to be, wait a second, I'm, I'm, I study the law, I know all the details, I'm living meticulous, and now you're telling me, I'm not a part of this work of God unless I do this. And that's throwing him a curve to him. That, that's giving him something to think about that he hasn't thought about. So he, he says, basically, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb. Now, I don't think Nicodemus was stupid. I don't think he was thinking so much literal, but I think he was coming up against this kind of eternal problem. And this problem of the man who wants to be changed, but who is unable to change himself. And so the whole idea that Nicodemus is having in this law, well, I do this, I do this, I do this, and this is what I must do. And now you're telling me, no, that's not it at all. To, to get into this position where you are living in line with God and the kingdom of God, you need to be born again. And all of a sudden, it takes it out of his court. And he says, well, how do you do that? How do you get born a second time? 
And I don't know if it was sarcastically or just, you know, trying to push the point. You can't go back into your mother's womb a second time. And so radical was the change that the sins he had committed before his reception were all done away with. I mean, it was the idea that this was going to just move away from those things. That wasn't foreign to the Jewish mind. When they would proselytize people into their faith, it would be to them as if they were a newborn baby, they would say. And they would be so much so that they would say, everything that you did before, you're not guilty of anymore. Because now you are new in this faith. So there was this idea of rebirth in the Jewish mind. And it would be so extreme that some of them would even go so far as to say, you can even marry people in your family because you're no longer the same person that you were before. That was the extent that they would hold this idea of being a new person. So it wasn't totally foreign, but it was totally dependent on what they did. You need to keep the law. You need to follow these things. You need to commit yourself to the rabbi and their teachings. And now you are as if you were a new person. And here is this Jewish leader who is already doing all these things, more so than everyone else. And Jesus says, no, you got to be born anew. And he's like, okay, I'm doing everything. See that guy? I'm doing more than him. Name a person. I'm doing more than them. And Jesus says, it's not enough. There needs to be a transition. Even in the Greek world, there is this idea of new birth. The ancient world knew a lot about this kind of rebirth, regeneration. It longed and searched for it. I mean, we still have movies about those things. You know, whether it's Benjamin Button or those movies, there's probably been 20 of them where the dad and the son change bodies, you know, and now... It's like the kid's in high school, but he's really an adult, and it's like he has the chance to live it over and not make all the stupid mistakes, and the kid's finding it. Anyway, you've heard this story and seen the movies, and after the first ones, you know the end. Um, And so there's always this kind of idea of, man, if I could just start over again, but how do you do that? And some people just don't understand, and some don't want to understand what Jesus is talking about. You know, Nicodemus is coming to him and maybe he just doesn't get it or maybe the fact that what Jesus is asking him to do is going against everything that he's doing and so he doesn't want to go there. And that's some place that we need to think about as well, that we don't get so set in our ways that we are locked and not able to hear from God when he is leading and directing us. And so Jesus comes and he gives them something totally new and it's it's beyond what he is able to grasp. And so he he's challenging, I guess you would, or questioning Jesus about these things. And in verse 5, Jesus says, very truly, means I'm telling you the truth, very seriously, no one can enter again the kingdom of God unless they are born of the water and spirit. Okay, the kingdom of God is within you, Luke 17, 21. To be in the kingdom of heaven is therefore to lead a life in which we have willingly submitted to everything that God wills. And so you're not able to live this life unless you are born of water and the spirit. Now, 
born of water and of spirit. This idea of being born has this idea of sonship, of being part of this family. There are different views on what it means to be born of water. Some people think it means uh, baptism, water baptism. Uh, some people mean, think it means natural birth. You know, the water sack breaks and then you're born of, you know, the water and then you have to be born of the spirit. Some people believe it means, you know, in a spiritual sense, the word of God. You have to be, you know, born by the word of God, receive the word of God, and then the spirit. I do believe that it's talking about cleansing, that there has to be a cleansing that takes place. And we're going to go to Ezekiel in a little bit and look at a passage that I think kind of gives credence to this. And so remember, too, Jesus is coming from this place of baptism, which is an idea of repentance. It's an idea of cleansing. And so it could be possible he's saying you need to have this repentance and then be born of the Spirit. In other words, there has to be this change that you're willing to make, and then there's the change that God is willing to make. And that's similar to what it's going to be like to enter into the kingdom of God. He goes on, he says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. A man by himself is flesh and his power is limited to what the flesh can do. You, you can only do so much. And so Jesus is giving a, an illustration. And it's real important that we keep in mind an illustration and don't try and go so far into an illustration that we lose the picture. You know, you can do so many word studies that pretty soon you forget what you're talking about and you're just talking about words. And he's trying to paint a picture. You know, the flesh gives birth to the flesh. The spirit gives birth to the spirit. And, and there's something that needs to be recognized here in what you can do and, and what God can do. And as he's bringing this about, he's letting him know that, you know, there is only so much you can do, and there has to be something that God can do, or there is something necessary that God can and will do. And so he gives another illustration. You shouldn't be surprised, verse 7. Now, when he says you shouldn't be surprised, he's talking to a person who knows the law, and he's telling him, you should know this already. And so there's a couple of passages in the Hebrew scripture that I think Jesus is alluding to. One is Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 31 and 32. And it says, rid yourselves of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, people of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. The other one is Ezekiel 36. Starting at verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. So there is this idea of cleansing. Again, the Jewish people would baptize if they were going to be proselytized into this faith. And so there's this idea of cleansing that I think he's referring to in this water scenario. I will clean, cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. 
and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And so Ezekiel is writing about what Jesus is fulfilling. We're going to get rid of this law on the tablet and we're going to put it in the heart. This is the new covenant. We're doing something new and it's going to be between me and you. And so God is making this declaration and Jesus tells Nicodemus, you shouldn't be surprised at this saying, you must be born again. This is what Ezekiel was talking about. I'm doing something new. I'm bringing you again. Remember, we talked about that word being born anew, being born again, being born from above. Those are all the things that Ezekiel was talking about. I'm going to do something totally different. I'm going to do something bringing you back to this newness, freshness, cleansing, and it's coming from God. I am going to put this in your heart. And so it's something that God does but then it's something that takes place in us. He goes on and he says, the wind blows. The word wind is the word pneuma. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. And the word spirit is also the word pneuma. It's the same word, wind and spirit. And so Jesus is giving him, again, another illustration, and he's saying that you can see when God does something. Okay, I want to try and make as clear my understanding of this idea of being born again as possible. There are so many passages throughout the scriptures where this idea of new birth, Second uh, Corinthians 5.17, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Even in the other gospels, Matthew 18.3, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So there's all these areas where there's this challenge for us to be born anew, to start anew, to have this new life. But how do you do it? Because that's what Nicodemus is asking. In verse 9, he says, how can this be? And I think that's the million-dollar question. Again, I think Nicodemus is sincere. I think he's wanting to know, what do I have to do to be in this right relationship with God? Because I am doing everything a human being can possibly do. I'm in the highest position a Jewish man can be in, and I'm coming to you because I need something else. How can this be? And we can get so focused on details that we miss the purpose. We can get so locked into, well, we need to study the scripture and you need to do these things that you lose the point. Just like they did with the scriptures. Well, we're going to study every point of the law and you can't tie this kind of knot and you can't walk this kind of far and you can't spit and make mud because that's work and you can't do this and you can't do this. And we're going to make sure that we cover all our bases and we'll write volumes. We'll have different Talmuds that talk about these things and how all these religious 
rituals that we're supposed to fulfill so that we can keep the law perfectly. Because if we do that, we will be living right. And here's a man who's been doing that and doing that and doing that and saying, okay, what do I have to do? What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Because what I'm doing, it's not quite getting it. And I've been studying and I've been studying and now Jesus is saying you need to look differently. Break that mold. Stop looking at this in such a narrow view. You're missing the whole point. You're missing the narrative that God has been portraying and you're writing your own narrative. And that's something that we can do a lot in Scripture. You know, we start reading the Bible and studying the Bible, and pretty soon, you know, chapter 2 has nothing to do with chapter 3. And verse 2 and verse 3, we'll spend a week looking at those verses and just talking about those verses that we missed the whole point of the book. And we think by finding out every detail of every word, we're getting closer to God. And we're missing the point. And here is Nicodemus missing the big picture, missing the point. And the point is you must be born again. You must have a new start. God needs to do something in you. And so to be born from above, to be born again, is to be changed in such a way that you can describe it only as a rebirth or as a recreation. Something happens to you. Now, before you think, what does that look like? What does that look like? I'm here to tell you that it's probably closer to you than you think. I think you guys have had instances where that's already happened in your life to some degree. When I started dating Kareem, it changed who I was. I started dressing different. I started letting her tell me what to wear. And I started caring about the things that she wanted to do. And so my love for her changed me. When we had kids, it changed me. I recognized how self-centered I was. I recognized how much I could sacrifice and give of myself. I would start sharing my dessert because they would come up to me and they would want a bite. And there was four of them, so I didn't get to eat as much. And it was something that I did. Just by having this relationship with them, it changed who I was. Having a relationship with God will change who you are, just like the wind. You can't see it, but you see the effects. See, you couldn't see what was happening between me and my family, but if you knew me before and you knew me after, you would say, well, there's a change. Sam is different. I can remember a friend of mine coming up to me and goes, you're the most patient man in the world. Because my kids, I don't know what they were doing. They were, you know, they were going crazy. And so he said, you're the most patient man in the world. And it struck me. I go, I'm not patient. I'm just keeping myself from killing them. That's all. 
But I guess that's patient. And so there was a change that he saw in me that you couldn't see except for in how it affected me. But the dynamic and the relationship between me and my kids is what caused the change to take place. You see, being born again isn't magic pixie dust that God sprinkles on you and makes you a different person. Being born anew, being recreated, is the relationship you have with God that affects how you live. Because now, this relationship, I love him because he first loved me and gave himself for me. And now I care about how he thinks. I care about the things that he cares about. And it starts to change who I am. But it does it in a much more dynamic and a deeper way. Because my wife and kids, as close as I am to them, it's not the same as a relationship with God. But it's not this poof. Are you born again? Because I, I grew up in the 70s. Well, I grew up before that. But in the 70s when I was a follower of Christ, you know, being born again was a matter of you, you say a prayer, you make an altar call, and you're born again. And so, you know, whether it's Billy Graham, whether it's, you know, a Harvest Crusade, or it's the church, you had to have an altar call. You go down and you make a, did you say yes to Jesus? Yes, I said yes to Jesus. Okay, would you like to be born again? Yes, I'd like to be born again. Okay, you're born again. Poof. We just sprinkled some prayer dust on you, and now you're born again. But that's not it. It's the relationship. It's desiring God. And then God doing what only God can do in changing who you are. Because you desire that change. It works hand in hand. God is not forcing himself upon you. God does not just say, okay, I'm going to make you born again. I'm not going to make you born again. Yeah, I choose you. I don't choose you. What God is doing is saying, this is what's necessary for you to be a part of my kingdom, for you to be my son, for you to inherit eternal life, the life that I have. You have to be connected to me. How do you get connected to me? Well, you have to love me and desire what I desire. And when you do that, you'll find that it starts to change you. That the relationship with God affects you just like every relationship you have with someone close will affect you. It's amazing the power of relationships. It's amazing. I've seen people devastated because... Someone leaves them. Destroyed. I've seen their lives crash and burn because someone cheated on them, someone betrayed them, someone said, I don't like you anymore, and all of a sudden, the world's over. That relationship changed them. And so... So can the relationship with God. Oh, my, Miles is not happy. How do you know? Because you see the effects of the relationship. You see, if, my, if I tell my wife, I love you, but 
I'm going out with other women. I'm not coming home. And someone says, well, do you love your wife? Oh, yeah, I love her. Well, I'm not seeing it. You're telling me you love her, but it's not showing up in how you behave. And so something's disconnected with your words and your life. And you say, I love her, but you live like this. And so we say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but you live like this. Or I want to be a part of the kingdom of God, but I'm not really moving in that way that the kingdom of God moves. The wind is blowing, but it's not being seen in how you move. And you see, the great thing is there's just this raw, hard-hitting honesty with God, that it says, I'm not going to play games. I don't care about your religion. I don't care about your meticulous finding these things. I care about you and me being in harmony and on the same page. And I've given you scripture to guide you in that way, but don't think you can fulfill your life with the scripture. You need me. The law is not going to do what the relationship needs to do. And there's no way to play games. Well, God, I go to church, I tithe, I you know, help these people, I serve over here, I serve over here. But if it's not happening in the relationship, if the wind isn't being seen and moving in other ways, Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. But I did all these things. I don't care about the things. You need to be born again. You need to be in a dynamic, new, recreated relationship that takes place because of the relationship you and I have. There's no faking it. If my wife and I are growing distant, it's obvious it becomes clear. It happens in our conversation. When she's upset with me, she can't hide it. I don't think she tries. And I can't hide it, and I try. It shows up because there's a disconnect. It happens in a subtle glance. It happens in a, 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 a curt response. It happens in the smallest things. But it's there. Why? Because it's who you are. And what Jesus is saying, you need to be in a dynamic living relationship with God. Otherwise, you will never be a part of his kingdom. You will never be a part of this sonship and you will not inherit this eternal life. You have to be connected to me. The connection is through the person, Jesus. Jesus is revealing the heart of God. That was the whole temple point, bringing you destroy this temple, I'll raise it up in three days. Here it is, the law, all these things. Nope, something bigger is happening. You must be born again. Did I cover all the questions? The spirit. Did I touch on the thing with the spirit, Alex? Or who is asking? Now, here's the water. Who asked about the spirit? And what exactly? Oh. Okay. Okay. I don't take good notes. <laughs> and so, when Jesus is pushing these things, and Nicodemus says, "How can this be?" 
at the heart of this is a mystery, but the mystery isn't an intellectual appreciation. It is the mystery of redemption, the mystery that transforms us because of the relationship. The mystery that happens because of the loving relationship that we have with God, how that affects our lives. And that's why, you see, it's... I, I can remember talking to someone and saying, well, you know, well, you're, if you, what happens if, you know, you die while you're sinning? Do you go to heaven or do you go to hell? You know, because I was sinning, you know, I, I was doing something bad and I was sinning and then I got shot, you know. And so do I go to hell now because I was sinning while I got shot? Or if I would have been 30 seconds later and I would have said, I'm sorry, God, boom, then I get shot. Then I could at least, I wasn't sinning and now I go to heaven. You know, I don't know if you guys ever ask those questions, but I'd always have, you know. So I'd be asking these questions, well, you know, you don't know, so you better not sin. It's like, man, how do you not sin you know, how do you stop from those things happening? And it's not about not sinning. It's about the relationship. You see, the relationship changes who you are. It changes the essence of who you are. I will never stop being a dad. I will never stop caring and loving for my kids. I should never stop being a husband. I should never stop loving my wife. It's now part of who I am. But if you were to ask Corrine and don't, if I ever did anything wrong, she would let you know, I do plenty wrong. And if you were to ask my kids, you know, has your dad ever messed up? Has he ever been a bad dad, done something wrong? If they didn't tell you, I could. I could tell you all kinds of things. But I never stopped being in relationship. And so what happens is we change in our essence and so you can be born again and just be living like a jerk you can you'll be miserable and your relationship will be awful and remember paul i need to stop soon remember paul told the corinthians you know leave this man up to satan who is living with his mother-in-law so that the destruction of his body, his soul might be saved. It's like, let God deal with him so his mistakes will cost him enough for him to say, okay, yeah, I, I just need to get back. God is at work, and it's not a matter of, well, am I saved or not saved? I don't know. What's the relationship? Has the essence of who you are changed? Is your desire still God? And even though... You fall off the wagon, and even though you do this, what your desire is, is the kingdom of God, to be the child of God, to be connected to the life of God. Because that's what Jesus is looking at. Does he know you? Does he know you? And to be born again is to know God and for him to know you. To be born from above is to be in this dynamic living relationship with God. So how do you get into that relationship? How did you fall in love with your wife? Those of you who aren't married, sorry, you can't be born again. No, um, how do you get to know somebody? You inquire of them, you spend time with them, you, you talk to them, and as you get to know them, you develop the relationship. It requires time. It requires investment. 
And it's not like, well, you have to take time and read your Bible. You have to take time and pray. You have to, yeah, those things are good. But you see, we, we go back to that mold. Okay, well, this is how you know God. This is what you do. No, you, you have to care. Do you care? Where is that care leading you? How's the wind blowing and how's it being seen in your life? If it's not, then maybe you need to take stock and say, you know, this relationship that I have, maybe it's not really what I thought it was. Maybe I'm like Nicodemus and I've been going to church and I've been reading the Bible and I've been doing all these things of church, but I've just been missing it by that much. Maybe the mold needs to get broken in our minds so that we stop playing the religious game and have a living relationship with the God who changes us. We'll stop there because I'm already long. Um, any questions on this? Man, this thing is like hot. It's like blowing fire. I'm like, man. It's like, man, I'm sweating on this side. I'm like, what's going on? I need to put that over here from now on. Um, any questions or thoughts in this passage? Nine verses. I was supposed to get through 15 verses, but I didn't. Yeah, there were Pharisees who came to faith, you know, and Nicodemus was one of them, we know, but it began with that inquiry and that, what's with you, you know, what's going on? Any other thoughts? And I I need to be careful because I can come across as against those things, and I probably do. Um, You know, it's not that you can't, Go forward uh, to a, at a Billy Graham crusade or Harvest Crusade, and it doesn't, you know, it, it still doesn't mean anything. I mean, there are a lot of people who do go forward, and it does mean something. And at the same time, there's a lot of people who do, and it doesn't, you know. And, and so it's like, well, who are the ones that do, and who are the ones that don't? Well, the ones that do are the ones who enter into the relationship, you know. And so that, you know, it's like, unless I went up to Corrine and said, will you go out with me? You know, we could have never gotten together. It did take an intention, it did take a decision, and it did take, you know, it wasn't just by osmosis. Pretty soon we're holding hands and, hey, look at it, that happened. So there is intention in the decision that has to be made. No, that may, I mean, it's good that you did. You know, I mean, there are a few times in, like, Pentecost where Peter makes this discourse, you know, and he pleads out this case to the people, the Spirit comes upon them, and they baptize them, and there's just an amazing thing that happens. And so there's times where there's this direct kind of, you know, yeah, response to something that happened, and there's times like Cornelius in chapter 10, where it just kind of happens, or, you know, the Ethiopian eunuch, and just walking along, and all of a sudden, yeah, there's someone who makes it known, but then where did he go after that? You know, the relationship began, and it just kind of happens in that way. He was curious. God provided someone there to bring the answer to that. And so there's this kind of God is always working. You know, it's not like he's not there, and he's not answering prayer, and he's not involved. Um, it's, I think, the point I, I want to understand and what it means to be born again isn't, again, to answer an altar call, but it is to enter the relationship, which in a sense is answering a call. You know, there there is God calling and saying, this is what I want for your life. Are you going to respond? You know, and so that aspect, that it is a recall. Um, but our, our frame of thinking, at least in the United States and how things have been, aren't really much like 
scripture, you know, in a lot of ways. But doesn't mean they're not good, doesn't mean there wasn't good that came from them. But then when we lock into those things, we can miss the other things. Because there's a lot of people who start coming to faith and it's like, well, did you ever, you know, accept the Lord? And it's like, well... I think I'm accepting him now. You know what I'm saying? It's like, well, did you ever say a prayer? Um, I, I pray. You know, those kinds of things. Yeah. No, no, it's a good point. It's a good point that you make because I can be tainted in my prejudice. Um, yes. I think I had answered like five or six altar calls. Really, I did. I was like, man, I don't know. I can't be saved. I was, I was partying heavy this week. I, I am not saved anymore, I'm sure, because I just heard a message, and according to him, I didn't do it, so I got to go do it again, you know. And I mean, and those are the kinds of things that I then start to rake, wrestle with. It's like, wait a second, what is this? You know, is this legit? Um, and so... You know, trying to understand how it works is sometimes difficult because it's, again, a, a relational thing. But what is important is there is a change. There is a recreation. There is something spiritual happening. And just like it happens in other relationships, it happens even more so in this relationship with God. It will change you. And it will surprise you how much it changes you. One day you'll say, oh my gosh, who am I? I didn't think I was going to be this person. And then so I can remember one time just in a certain situation, I won't give out details, but I, I kind of didn't go into an area that I always would have gone to or towards. And it was like no big deal. It's like, no, I'm not going to go with these people. I'm not going to do these things. And it was like... No, I'll see you guys later. And I was just leaving. And as I was walking away, I was just aware, do you realize you never would have said no? And all of a sudden you said no. And I just started crying because I realized, oh my gosh, I'm really different. And I didn't know it. I, I didn't intentionally like, well, no, I say no, you know, say no to you guys. Uh, um, I just all of a sudden didn't want to. And it blew my mind that how could you not want to? It was free. It was it was there. It was what you used to live for, and now it, you didn't. And it was surprising to me. And that's, it's you know, again, looking back, I could say I was a new creation. I was born again. I wasn't the same person because of this relationship I had with God. And I just want to keep that. I don't want to go away from that. And yeah, I still blow it, you know, and I still do stupid things. I still envy. I still get angry. still, you know, act like an idiot. But this relationship is everything. You know, it really is. And it's in my heart. He's put this law in my heart. And I, I don't ever want to lose that. And as we talk, I was having a conversation with someone about homosexuality Sunday. And as we were talking, instead of trying to make the person, well, you need to stop being gay, you know, you need to stop doing this, it's like, you know what, if I can get this person to Jesus, Jesus can do to this person what Jesus did to me. Because 
there is nothing like this love that God provides that I would give up everything to have this. Everything. And it's not because I'm a great guy. It's just because this connects with the deepest part of who I am. And it should if it's God. You know, he's the one who made me. He should know how to connect the dots in me. So that's what we need to do is connect people to Jesus, not get them to stop doing all the bad things. That's what Nicodemus was doing. No, these are the law. This is what you do. Did you tie a bow knot or was that a slip knot? Those are the only two knots that come to mind. You know, It's all about the type of knot you tie. You know, did you do this or did you do that? It, it, we keep putting the focus on things that are byproducts. You know, the homosexuality is a byproduct of something else. And if I can get someone to see how much Jesus loves them and connect them, God can change them. And God will. I believe that. And then it'll lead to deeper conversations. It did with me. When I first became a Christian, right after the next day, I went got high with my buddies and said, I became a Christian. And I thought that was fine. So, Any other questions? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the wondrous work that you do that's invisible yet seen, that is deep and powerful. Lord, a work that only you can do. It is not because we love you so much. It's not because we are so good. It's not because we care so much. It's because you care so much and it moves us and it changes us and it creates a new heart within us and you make us into new creations. Lord, may we continue to be molded and shaped into your image May we continue to be a part of your kingdom, your children, and connected to the life that is in you. Thank you for this time in your son Jesus' name. Amen.